0: I'm Michael Foster.
1: And I'm non-tenant, and you're listening to It's Good to Be a Man, the podcast where we are extending God's house and father rule by helping men to establish their own houses in strength, workmanship, and wisdom. So what are we talking about today, Michael? Well, in this episode,
0: uh, Eric Kahn is actually joining us as we discuss my experience at the 21 convention, uh, my conversation I have with Jack Donovan, and how this all connects to that controversy with the Fight, Laugh, Feast conference.
1: is the 21 convention and how did you get involved in it so I discovered the
0: 21 convention a couple years ago when I first started researching kind of the red pill and the online men's movement it's hard not to find them because it's been around for about this was its 14th year so it's been around for a long time and they have lots of videos on YouTube with different men speaking on men's issues. Sometimes it's like the pickup artist stuff. Sometimes it's on getting in shape or, uh, you know, MRA family law divorce. And sometimes there's like MGTOW, whatever they, it's just this conference that has a ton of speakers that come out to Florida and speak on all the issues that you run into when you're in the sort of uh, manosphere online. And uh, so I knew about it for a while. And actually I think, Uh, A lot of the guys, like Jack Donovan, that's where I found out about Jack Donovan. I I listened to him on there. I'm pretty certain that's where it was. Um, And a bunch of other well-known Manosphere sort of bloggers, writers, um, speakers. And so I've known about it for a while. And it's a, a conference that these guys go to. So, you know, a couple hundred guys will show up at the conference. They'll have a really crazy setup. Uh, and record all of it in HD and put it online. And they uh, have the, the speeches are usually like an hour long, and there's a lot of a lot of Q, Q and A panels and stuff. So I've known about for a while. I never thought I would speak at it. until I became friends with George Bruno, and George and, and I have a lot in common. George was in the Calvary Chapel movement like I was, and he was in the PCA like I was until the last couple of days, honestly. Um, and so George and I became friends, uh, on, I think Twitter, I think that's how it, how it happened. And we started exchanging direct messages and then phone calls. And then we, we Marco Polo with each other a couple times a week at least. And, and so George had a lot of interest in what we were starting to do with. It's good to be a man almost at the very beginning, really close to the beginning. And so he had an eye for it and it's cause George is a Christian and he actually cares uh, about these men that come to this conference. And these this conference, I, I guess I should underscore, is secular. It's it's not a Christian conference at all. As um, a matter of fact, it's very rare for them to have any, anyone that even claims to be a Christian there or have an explicitly Christian message. Though at this previous conference that I was part of uh, – that was kind of different. So I I found out about it just from being on YouTube. And then George started talking to me about it. Actually, Rolo Tomasi talked to me about being on um, the Patriarchs uh, edition of, of 21, which is sort of the fatherhood side of the, the 21 suite of conventions. And then Rolo and the guy that's over 21, Anthony Johnson, they had a fallout. Uh, which I think was a good thing. Uh, I'm looking at Nan's face right now. For no, no. <laughs> There's uh, like a smile. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Are you thinking roller. about that promo video? Okay, all right. Anyway. I'm thinking
1: about the promo video where he looked like a pimp and also about the continual interaction on Twitter where he kept claiming that he wasn't making any prescriptive statements. It was all just descriptive. And his complete inability to recognize a prescriptive statement and the idea that he does really have Ideas about what should be done and what's right and wrong in the whole in he the thinks the experience.
0: word the word praxology should impress a lot of us, but yeah' <laughs> <we're> not <laughs> that know. impressed so Rollo should stick to writing and and being a researcher, and when he what he really is great at doing is reading other people and synthesizing their ideas, and I think when he does that, he actually has a talent, and I don't want to take away from it, you know but um but they had a falling out. A lot of those guys now started their own like sort of alternate group called Rule Zero. Um, and in my opinion, having watched two of those videos, it it's basically the most reductive worst part of the manosphere and the red pill. It would be my take. But so anyhow, Anthony is the one that's over this. He started doing it when he was 17 years old. It was, And it was a conference for people under 21. And that's where the 21 conference came from. It wasn't like the 21st century or anything like that. So he started doing that and he's had it year after year. And it's kind of evolved into something increasingly productive because, you know, pickup artistry is, you know, it's empty at the end of the day, right? Like getting your notch count, having as much sex as you can. and, And and a lot of it's just not true, right? A lot of these a lot of these guys aren't picking up tens and nines and eights. This is the language they use. I was telling non the other day that I just, I have girls kind of had three categories for me. Like nah, like, eh, and like, oh yeah. Right. But like <laughs> to break it down to a 10 and nine to a seven and a half, like who are these people, man? Like who thinks that way? What man thinks that way? I, I, I think only beta how do you even males quantify that. <laughs> I don't know. And then to argue about it. No man, yeah, she's I totally hate. some kind of a matrix oh, where you have I don't to know.
1: combine various her, features to work. Her out
0: smile's a, like a little dog crooked, dog. so it's like a seven point five. <laughs> it w- you know, look, the golden mean. If her face was perfectly it's just like you listen to it and you think, No, no, I don't think you're this isn't how alpha males talk. If alpha male means manly no. Um, but anyhow, uh
1: it's, moved- it's like Star Trek nerds arguing about who would win in a fight like the Enterprise of the Defiant.
0: Well, yeah, yeah. Picard would totally take um, you know, Cisco. But anyhow, um that's not true. Cisco would win. Anyhow, um, as I as I got invited, I didn't really know what I was getting into. I had known I would watched some of their stuff and And I thought like, okay, this is going to be a lot of kind of peacocking nonsense, you know, a bunch of showboats, a bunch of guys talking about how many women they've slept with, how tough they are, how awesome they are, how rich they are, you know, all this sort of stuff. The marketing uh, trifecta, which is health, fitness, and sex, right? Or no, fitness, wealth, and sex and that sort of stuff. And that's kind of what I thought I was getting into. George had invited, George had kind of sold me to them and they they had, a lot of us had been following each other back and forth on Twitter and had some interactions that have been for the most part positive. So I went down and uh, it was five days. And the first time I got there, Uh, I checked in and then in the evening we had drinks and right away it was very different than what I expected. Everyone was really normal. Everyone was really down to earth. I kind of was worried that a lot of people are going to come all dressed up, but that wasn't the case. And if you'll, you'll see my first speech, I'm like in a, I've got like a really nice jacket on and by the end I'm like, "Eh." (laughs) I'm like in a t-shirt and like whatever. But um, as I got to know the people, I think part of what really started to stand out was the honesty. And I hate saying this because it sounds like some liberal whining, but the humanity, they're just normal. They're actually very normal people. And and they're really concerned about men's issues. And so as I started to hang out and talk to them, I found these folks to not be braggadocious, uh, to be very honest. And that kind of continued on throughout the entire, the entire time, uh, I spoke at the Patriarch Convention and at the Make Women Great. So it was they called it the 21 Summit because they had three conferences that, that kind of overlaid each other that were going concurrently for a portion of it. So I spoke at the one focused on fathers and the one with men, or the one focused on women, but not the one just on men, because like preparing three speeches on five weeks notice seemed like kind of intense. So I, I follow Tanner Guzzi, who is the Latter-day Saints. Uh Zach Small, who I think grew up Latter-day Saint. I don't know where Zach's at these days, but he's certainly not explicitly a Christian. And <clears throat> and Tanner's thing was like hardcore in favor of patriarchy, and I mean, it was really bold and it was really encouraging. And I was like, wow, this is crazy. I I could I've never heard a Christian in the church say these things. So when it was my time to get up there, I just thought, you know what, preach in such a way that if they don't invite you back, you don't have any regrets. So I just went for it. And I did my whole shtick. And if, it, it was very it's a lot of the it's good to be a man material. If you've read the stuff on the website, you wouldn't it, it wouldn't be news to you. But um, I preached the gospel told them that Jesus was the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father except through them, and just hit it really hard. And at the end, everyone was like, oh, that was amazing, encouraged me and all this stuff. (laughs) They were really warm. Like, it was an explicitly Christian message. Uh, When I got to um, the problems with men, instead of, like, going through – the Duluth Duluth model or any of that stuff. I said, let's just talk about the spiritual aspect, which is the main thing, but that our our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but, um, you know, spiritual powers, wickedness, you know? And so I just went through that and everyone was like really open. And through the whole time, folks would say, hey, pastor, can I get a moment? And they'd take you to the side and they would tell you, all their screw ups. Like, Oh, I had this porn addiction and I messed this up. And then I married this really crazy chick and I, you know, I didn't do the best in the marriage either. And, and here's where we're at now. What, what do we do? You know, how should I do? Like, and they were just really blunt about their mistakes, like very blunt. And you know how sometimes when people confess to you, it's because they want pity. It's a sort of self-loathing exercise, like, I did this wrong, I did this wrong, tell me it's going to be all right. It was more like, I did these things wrong, I want to take responsibility and fix it, can you give me some guidance, right, which is a great attitude to have. That happened over and over again. People kept taking me, I went to this Brazilian grill across the street, which I don't know if you've ever been to a Brazilian grill, but it justifies the existence of Brazil, it does. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. We went they to walk a- Dubai. It was incredible. You've been to Dubai. The yeah, white we people there? over there on the way to oh. uh, not way to England. You world traveler. Um, <laughs> so
1: <clears throat> I've been to Canada. That's all I've done <laughs> for like well, two hours. In, in your defense, I have not been to the South Island of New Zealand.
0: Well, I uh, went to this. Um, bar or this uh, Brazilian grill and, you know, they, they bring meat on these big slabs and they, and this guy bought, we, we shared a bottle of Pinot, uh, Pinot Noir. was really good and ate meat. And he just told me about his wife's death and how she converted to Christianity right before she died and how he wasn't a Christian and how he had all this, he had all these problems with Latter-day Saints. And, um, and he wanted my thoughts on that. And I asked him why he wasn't a Christian and and it was, <sighs> there was no pretense it was super weird in the ministry. What I always feel like, I always feel like I'm spending all this time trying to cut through the crap, right. To get, to get to the real issue, you know, where, you know, my rule of ministry is that whatever someone confesses to you is the part of the iceberg above the water. And, uh, so like someone's like, you know, I've kind of been struggling with pornography. You know, you're like, Oh man, has this dude just been like, masturbating and
1: pornography for like seven hours a day.
0: <laughs> like you're just worried what you're going to discover when
1: you start to ask questions, you know, and
0: like I always feel
1: like you have to dance on eggshells the entire time. Oh,
0: the whole time. And this, it was like, you could say short, blunt sentences and they'd look back at you. Oh, that's so helpful. And you're like, what, what do you mean? What do you mean? It's helpful. Isn't my tone wrong? Right. Aren't I being mean? Isn't it more complicated than that? Aren't you supposed to tell me it's more complicated? But no, you just would tell all these people these things. And so I preached from scripture. I don't have any regrets. I called out abortion. I called out feminism. I called out notch counts, all of it. And everyone down there was super warm, and I'm invited back next year. And so that was my experience um, there. And the it was... A uh, bizarre, otherworldly
1: sort of experience. <clears throat> so it sounds like it's so completely different to what you would experience at a typical Christian conference.
0: Yeah, and and that gets to a conversation I had with Jack Donovan. So Jack, he wrote The Way of Men, and he's probably uh, in terms of like the manosphere, or the men's movement. He's probably one of the biggest writers in it. I mean, him especially with crossover appeal, you know, guys like Glover that wrote No More N- Mr. Nice Guy, Rolo Tomasi, they, um, especially Rolo's kind of somewhat niche due to his language and, and the, the way the book's formatted. It's really blog post, right? But Jack's book is a normal book. And I think he self-published it. I know he self-published some of his stuff, but anyway, it's a fantastic book on, and I remember reading it. Hang on one second. here. I remember reading it and um, thinking it was weird that he didn't really talk about fatherhood in it very much and then come to find out that Jack is a homosexual. And in biblical language, we would say Jack is arsinochoite, right, And and that he engages in sex with men. But for the most part, he's not malakoy, not effeminate. And And so he would say he doesn't participate in sort of the queer gay culture. And I would say for the most part, that seems to be true because um, I met him and I, I he seemed very pretty unassuming. He's like a big deal down there too. And everyone wants his attention. He's really cool and um, and laid back. And I wanted to talk to him because I, I wanted to pick his brain on some things just simply because he's really dialed into where the men's movement is right now in this country and in the West. And he's writing he's writing another book on it. Um, they, I think it's almost done. So we're out at, um, the poolside or outside of the hotel. It was really late and I was with him and a couple other guys and I started talking to him about bronze age mindset, which is by bronze age pervert, pervert. And he's really big on Twitter. And there was a, a couple article, uh, book reviews written about him that made him in a big deal. And he actually wrote an article in the American mind, which I didn't think was very good. It was pretty weak, but um, the book itself I found to be, uh, I mean, it's it's kind of it's a weird book. Eric's on the podcast. Have you read Bronze Age Mindset yet? Have you uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's a weird book.
2: I mean, it's got great insight, but it's weird. This is super strange,
0: and it's got all like that sort of insider language and misspells words on purpose, and but it's also it's. It's very provocative, and since it's it's clearly non-Christian, it's easy for a Christian, I think, to read it and not worry about anything being kind of smuggled in. It's pretty hard to Trojan horse anything in that book that's so um, antagonistic towards Christianity, you know. Um, so anyway, I wanted to know what Jack thought about that book. I was like, what do you think about Bronze Age Mindset? And he said he hadn't read it, and that he didn't intend to. And I said, why are you not going to read it? And he says, well, because it's written underneath the pseudonym. And so, okay, all right, that makes sense, kind of. And he explained that, and he he told me the story of a very particular guy um, that was revealed. It's not, it's not Royal Tomasi, just for anyone listening to this podcast, but a guy who had this really good uh, blog. He was a great writer and he was talking about how to pick up chicks and how manly he was and all this stuff. And then his real identity is revealed and he's he's basically a fraud, right? He looks like he got hit with a brick on one side of his head and he's really overweight and um not not getting those women and and so the so in the manosphere they've had these guys that, that have a talent at repackaging or writing or marketing or whatever, but when you actually meet the real man, there's this great disparity between what they propose to believe and what they actually are. And so for Jack, he didn't want to waste his time on reading something where he couldn't actually judge the, the real guy. So he wasn't actually negative towards the bronze age mindset. He hadn't read it. He didn't have any deep thoughts on it. And he didn't take it down a peg or anything, but he said he wouldn't read it because of the pseudonym because they've had so many guys, um, you know, purport to be something that they're not, which brought to my mind how, what, I think Jack Donovan is a guy that is on the quest to find out what it means to be an authentic man. I'm not saying that's something we should be after. I think manhood is natural. and something we should get. And it's because of the brokenness of our society that we're having this conversation. We have the red pill and we have all these manuals and all that sort of stuff. It's because of the fatherlessness of our society that these things exist. And, uh, and to, some, to some degree, there's there's a place for life coaches or business coaches or whatever, because there are skills that you should have absorbed through your relationship with a father, a grandfather and uncles, but you did not because they're not around. Um, So I get why that's there. Um, So I I don't know if we should be on this quest for the authentic male, but I know that Jack is, and he's looking for, he's interested in something that's real. That's not fake. That's not a show. That's not, a big setup in all about appearances, which, uh, is where I want to pivot to what was going down. So I was at 21, uh, and 22 convention while the fight laugh feast convention was going on in Tennessee. And so I didn't go, but you know, I, I'm, I follow a lot of people on there and I got, a, I had some friends that went down there and there was this big, uh, what word are we going to use to describe it, Non? You didn't like the word. A brouhaha. A brouhaha, okay, as opposed to hubbub. <laughs> but uh, down at uh, Nashville over some some language. So the reason I asked Eric to come on is Eric and Nam both have commented on this. Uh, Eric, a little more in depth, but uh, could you like – bring the listeners up to what went down and and just kind of get the conversation going on that, that part of this.
2: Yeah, for sure. So kind of the the first thing was that Jeff was speaking to woke evangelicalism and he was really going hard after that. That's Jeff Durbin, uh, Pastor Jeff Durbin. Um, it's interesting because I, I listened to the entirety of the speech and I thought, wow, there's some things in here that are, pretty shocking. Um, even for my sensibilities, I'm, I'm usually not shocked by much. Um, I thought they were great points, but the language was actually not the thing that stuck out to me. Um, and it didn't seem like for a lot of the other guys originally, that was the thing. But eventually what happened, you had a, a lot of backlash because of one of the words uh, that Jeff uh, decided to employ uh, in the speech. It was also interesting because Jeff, I mean, he spent like five minutes prefacing uh, what he was about to do. Uh, he went through and he said, look, I don't cuss with my kids. You can ask my wife. Uh, you can t- ask anybody in my church. That's really not me. That's not my point. I'm not trying to be vulgar, vulgar or coarse or anything like that. Um, so he, he, he chooses this language, which is, um, I thought, very parallel with the parallel he was trying to make was with prophetic language, um, Ezekiel calling Israel a dirty whore who won't even get paid, um, and he's saying that's what woke evangelicalism is doing. So then comes my response, where basically I said, "Listen, I understand that some people are upset about you know the the curse word, uh,
0: which was, was bullshit." Foolish. It was bullshit. It was the word they said was bullshit, okay? For this context that right. people are tracking here, we're not talking the F word or
2: we're talking that particular word, okay? That's right. And I think what struck me was the number of people that were more aghast. I've seen a bunch of people on Twitter be more aghast by the word bullshit than the actual teachings like critical race theory, all the woke intersectionality, all that stuff they're more upset about the word than they were about the presence of those teachings in the church. And there was sort of this veneer, sort of this hypocritical outrage, like, Oh, we have to be outraged about this. And I, you know, I'm looking around at the people and I'm like, I know that dude in real life. He talks like that all the time. But I think in evangelicalism, this gets to the opposite of what you're experiencing with Jack Donovan, which is in Christendom, especially with pastors, we, we feel the need to put on a show. Like when you're in the pulpit, you don't talk like a man anymore. And I remember this listening to other pastors in my small town where like a a, a rancher would come up to them and say, hey, a calf died. I'm scrambling. Oh, brother, I will pray for you in the spirit's peace. And and I'm just thinking like, dude, just tell him it sucks. Put an arm around him and go help him. Like you don't have to over spiritualize everything. (laughs) So it, it is interesting, I will say, because Jeff said that he used the word bullshit But if immediately after that, this was the part that got missed. He said the evangelical woke slut is a slut whose behavior makes Cardi B's WAP look like performance art for preschoolers. Oh my goodness. And what's amazing in the conference is what you hear. There is you hear these like deep. Oh, I listened to it. I shared it with my wife and we were both like, wow, I feel like I got punched in the gut. And the thing was, it was true. It, to me it was refreshing because it was true
0: yeah that's and i i was like what it was so bizarre for me because you know look if someone doesn't i get, i i can argue the side that says this is not to, we shouldn't use vulgar language in a mixed crowd in a sermon where you're standing behind a pulpit i get where some people are coming from but i am i'm down at this conference and all these people are opening their hearts up to me about like intense struggles and they're very real and some of it was very raw but it was it was it was real man and and I I I read to them from scripture ministered to them from scripture and then I look online and I see all these people like saying Jeff Durbin's not a Christian or this is like this is evidence that Moscow is a cult, and on and on and on and then like if you said anything about it on Twitter at all like like the arguments erupted really quick, like lots of subtweeting and all that, and I was like, "This is wild. This is really crazy." Because it was such a contrast with what was going on in my life at the time, and seeing like, you know, I was thinking, "Man, to to really grow the church, we're going to have to like leave, <laughs> be done with evangelicalism and just preach to the pagans and start start new again." You know, but but anyway, um, so I guess what. What I'd ask you, Non and, and and Eric both like, why those people have heard that language before. Most of them have seen it in the movies and TV shows that they watch. Certainly in their workplace, um, especially if they're working blue collar. I worked as an an electrician, I worked in the sales floor, I've heard all that stuff before. Um them to be offended and bothered by it's one thing, but the magnitude of the response. Like, what? what's going on? Like, what explains the magnitude of the response? What would you say?
2: Well, I, I would go to, a lot of it is, and this is kind of what I said on Twitter, but it, it's revealing the effeminacy of the the modern church. Even though we have male management, so to speak, um, it's, church is very much a female-dominated category. Um, if you would have said, you know, you could say much worse language than that, at a job site, nobody's going to bat an eye. But I think the context of the church has been hostile to men for so long that it's sort of like the church lady environment, right? When I was a kid in rural America and you, you swore, you know, grandma would, you know, swat you on the ear and be like, don't knock like that. And then, you know, your dad would be like, oh, that's fine. You know, just don't say that around the ladies. Well, if your whole context is ladies and children, Um, You can understand why in that environment, you know, it would be offensive. Um, I think part of it too, though, actually parallels the situation with the left culture and the way they respond to Donald Trump. So a lot of those people are like, you know, orange man, bad. And I hear from a lot of my, surprisingly, I have lefty friends, but um, a lot of them will say, oh, he's so vulgar. And I'm like, you know, you're promiscuous and you watch porn and you do all these terrible things and you're upset because you know, yeah, he said some things that were not good, but it's it's nothing that you're not doing in your everyday life. Um, but I think that's part of it is this, we really train ourselves in two things. One is false outrage. And the other is like having a public demeanor and a private demeanor. And they're very, very separate. Um, and, and that's translated into Christendom. I mean, we have some heinous, heinous sins. I think I read a study last week that, you know, something like 60 to 70% of men in church are looking at pornography. Probably the thing to be pissed off about is not the way, uh, you know, not not one word in in context of some, some guy's speech at a mostly male conference. That's probably not the thing to be outraged about. But that's sort of culturally where we're at and what we're trained to,
1: you know, to lose it over. Nam, what would you say? I agree. I think there's a kind of... Um a pharisaical separation of cleanness and uncleanness going on in the church. The church is a place of cleanness. And so you can't say dirty words and you can't say, I mean, (laughs) one of the things that struck me as so odd about the outrage over what Jeff said was they were all up in arms about the fact that he said bullshit. And none of them mentioned the fact that he talked about the church as a slut lying on the ground in the middle of a burning city, opening her (laughs) legs. Anyone who'll enter her, Surely that's more offensive than bullshit, but no one said a thing, I guess, because it didn't trigger the right response or the right word. You know, I also think that some of the guys knew that that was scripture, and
0: they didn't really know. Like, the only thing you can say, well, you're not a prophet, right? You're not mm-hmm. Jesus. And then we would yeah. say, well, these men were given to us as examples that we're supposed to emulate at times, right? That's yeah. like, And then what do they say?
1: But yeah. um, clearly there was a great deal of discomfort with the idea of any kind of prophetic language coming from a pulpit because pulpit is a place where gentle things are said and uh, encouraging things. And what Eric was talking about before this kind of very affected way of speaking, it reminds me a lot of Spurgeon's, um, Spurgeon's sermons. Lecture to my students where he talks about the effeminate voice. Yeah. Yeah, he's got a, a long section on all the different ways that preachers go wrong in the pulpit, and some of them are quite funny. He obviously had very little regard for these foppish men who were up there, um, and that was a problem back then too. Yep. Where, I mean, he was probably in the midst of that kind of sea change that happened as men began to fill the pulpit based more on their affinity with women and uh, inability to get a job in the real world. Mm-hmm. Um, you started to see the loss of bivocational pastors and it became a third six.
0: You know, so I, I kind of will tie this together with a lot of the research that we've been doing. And so when we, so I read it's, um, no more Mr. Nice guy by Glover. Cause everyone kept saying that was the book to read. And so I finally got around to reading it and I, I liked it. It had a lot of it's not a Christian book at all, and you certainly, there's a lot of chewing, out, chewing off the meat, spitting out the bones sort of things going on. And some of it is just psychobabble. Like, if you just repl- replace the words with better words, what he's saying is true, if you don't get tripped up on it. And, but one thing that about nice guys, which are these guys that are raised uh, for female validation. Like, I've been running into this with a couple of friends where I can say something to them and they don't really listen to it, or they only kind of do. And then if a female dating coach says it, they're like, oh, it must be true. And I'm like, this
2: is
1: your problem. Your problem is you only listen to women, man. Um, That's so weird because my wife constantly, well, constantly, she often, often is the wrong word as well, occasionally, <laughs> but she's noticed a pattern in my life where she will have something that she knows is true, and she'll tell me about it, and I'll ignore her and then i'll read it for myself from someone else from some guy online who'll say it to me or i'll i'll see a video or whatever and then i'll be like oh we need to do this thing and she'll be like i told you that like two years <laughs> ago why didn't you not listen to me yeah and that's I think like a that it's yep. a on. general thing men do tend to listen to men and not to women so the fact that it's the other way around with these guys is really perverse
0: i think it's it's the uh, so the generation raised uh, seeking female validation right and so with the nice guys is there to to the, the world of men is a brutal world right it's a world of of the sweat of the brow of being cut by uh, thistles. It's a, it's a world where your toughness is kind of constantly measured to find out what your place is in the hierarchy, not to cut. So when men fight, it's not to throw someone out of the circle, but to find their, th- their place in it. Right. And so that's just the, the masculine world. It's a very tough world where the woman, the, the female world, isn't that it doesn't have difficulty. and It certainly does, but it is a world of refinement, cleansing, you know, finishing, um, perfecting, you know all that sort of stuff. We're the guys out on the boundaries, pushing the boundaries, and they're behind the boundary line, uh, putting things together. So to live in a woman's world is to be in a cleanly, nice, prim, proper world. It's a civilized, uh, of a civilized world, which is the goal of the man anyway. But he's out there on the, um, he's pressing the lines forward. And he leaves a woman back there to, to help cultivate some of that there. Uh, but the boy's supposed to be with them and these. If you don't have fathers, you're not out there experiencing that. So your whole frame of reference is is female, and so they seek female validation, and and it becomes this sort of performance idea slips in where if I can, if I'm just nice enough, if I'm just clean enough, if I'm just good enough, right, then I'll get the validation from women I want, and then that could lead to sex and a happy marriage and all these things. But of course, that's not how the way the world works at all. And so I, what I think is that really the the entire the entirety of evangelicalism is is wrought into the core. And I think what we're what we're seeing is that evangelicalism has absorbed the nice guy culture that seeks female validation. And so there's this deep performance mindset where they have to be clean, they have to be good, they have to be the white knight that's that's like, mm, my lady, you know, all this sort of, you know, stuff. You know, they, they're like Ducky in um, a Breakfast Club, right? Like, they're like the geek, you know, and how the geek gets the girl in all those movies. Well, that's because the geek wrote the screenplay. That's, mm-hmm. not, that's not what actually happens. Um, and so I think... Christianity has taught men to be liars, to be frauds, to be fakes, to clean the outside of the cup and this in this unrelenting performance environment. And when someone throws their roll across the table, right, that starts a food fight, when someone moves away from the allowed speech and presses the issue and, and acts in an unclean way and he's not punished for it, it's starting to pull the whole thing down. And so for me, I don't even, I don't, I don't want to get stuck on the cussing. Right. I, I'm more interested in the magnitude of the response and why in the world that would happen, you know? And I think it's revealing of, of just how beta or nice or effeminate pick your, pick your word, man. But there's this deep performance mindset was pharisaical that we keep the outside of the cup clean, but the inside's filthy. And we know this. We know this because we have guys emailing us and I've been in the ministry telling us the stuff that they are watching, not just pornography, but the movies and the things they they do behind closed doors. And that's how it all started connecting. I I don't know if you guys want to comment on that, some thoughts, riff on that a little.
1: I think the Pharisees are interesting because they were precious fusses, but they were also patriarchal. Whereas we've lost the patriarchalness and adopted the precious fussing. And so we've taken what they created, well, created, what, what they established as an institutional religion in their day, which is the same as any institutional religion in any day, really. And we've managed to somehow to make it more effeminate than it was, which is impressive, but also very sad. And what you said about the, the difference between open and clo- well, behind closed doors and so on is, yeah, it, it's a vast, stark contrast. And the fact that it's, it actually reminds me a lot of the abortion debate. If you show pictures of aborted babies, people lose their minds. But the fact that this actually happened and that this is something which is going on every day to the tune of 3000 babies, that doesn't bother them at all. As long as it's out of sight and out of mind, as long as it's kind of sanitized, it's not a problem. It's when you start to bring these um, carnal not quite the right word for it. What's the word I'm looking for? Something that's really in your face. Vulgar almost, yeah. When you start to get vulgar about the truth, when the truth becomes a problem that It's
0: all that it's in- like unfiltered almost, right? Exactly. It's unfiltered.
1: Yeah, then they can't handle.
0: Eric, what do you th- what are you thinking?
2: Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. And I think when you look at Scripture, um, one of the things I've always pointed to is John the Baptist, right? He's not the malicose man. He's the hard man. He speaks plain truth. But look at John loses his head for confronting sin. Um, Jesus is before the Pharisees. Um, and, and simply because he's speaking the truth, this kind of gets to the your, your man conference thing. Why are you eating with drunkards and sinners, Michael? How dare you? But they're the ones who are actually receptive to the truth because they haven't been taught Christianese bullcrap. They don't know how to put up the facade like everybody else in the church does. And so they don't know how that game works. And then the Pharisees are mad at you because you spoke plain truth and you spoke in a way that was clear and to the point. So I think, as probably most of the men here could attest and who listen to your show, if you speak on these issues— that I brought up, that you brought up in your shows and stuff like that. If you speak to those in the public space, people are going to ostracize you. They're going to hate you, right? That's not the comfortable truth to be spoken. And so in a way, I think Jeff knew exactly what he was doing. Going back to the Jeff Durbin comment, I think he knew what he was doing. It's kind of ironic because the context of everything he said were, look, prophets speak hard words and it pisses off the religious establishment." And then the the religious establishment—they miss all of that—and they're like, "We're pissed at Jeff." Yeah, absolutely.
0: And yeah, I was just thinking—it's so a guy like Jack Donovan, who's looking, who's one of his biggest concerns, based on my read of him, is honesty, right, realness, trueness, authentic—all those words that that a man. If you brought him to church, would there would there be anyone that could cause that could trip him up? Who could be this godly guy who's against homosexuality but is manly, and that could you know like you where you create this crisis for people where they like oh, I don't get that right, like I don't get how that could exist, or would he go there? Would it, would it confirm what? It, what all of us know that the church no, is man. by and
1: large, you know, a pretty much every man in the church is gay than he is.
0: Yeah. And culture, they're malacoy, Right. Yeah. And so it's crazy. This is, and so, well, you have a thought. So I hear someone breathe. What's someone about to say something? Go ahead.
2: Yeah, no, I was, just, Michael, I was getting back to the point uh, of what you said before. And I, I think this is where it really sticks in my craw. It's like, look, evangelicalism is rotten to the core for years. I heard men say I'm done with church and I'd be like, Oh, come on, man, just come back and we'll figure it out. And I'm kind of at that point where it's like, yeah, we have to do something different. Um, it's got to look different. I think that the culture kind of has to be built from the ground up differently where it is again, authentic, um,
0: which is a word uh, yeah. that I think you and I both hate. Like it, yeah. like for years you heard people say authentic and real and you're like, oh, give me a break. That's every. It's like a car salesman says like, I'm going to be honest with you right before he lies to you, right? Like anytime a church is like, I'm a real church or I'm an authentic church. But then the reality is, right. is we do we need do. it, you know?
2: Well, I think for a lot of people it was a marketing buzzword. That they could latch onto and then cheat you under the guise of authenticity. the other thing was it, it, it's been a huge thing in like the hipster vegan movements, stuff like that oh we're authentic no you're not you're faker than anyone else here. did so you have a burger made out of vegetables there's nothing authentic about that you are lying to my face you Tonight's are the problem black with America. bean
0: burgers yeah exactly you're why America's falling
1: <laughs> one of the things that occurs to me when you look at where we are now and how we've gradually got here is that we haven't taken Paul's admonition to Timothy nearly seriously enough. I think it was Timothy about the way that people are going to accumulate for themselves, false teachers who are going to itch scratch their ears, um, not being willing to, to listen to the truths of scripture, but wanting to hear the things that will tickle their ears instead. And we tend to think of that as things like health and wealth. Oh yeah. You know, those terrible heresies out there, people Want, want money and that kind of thing. But the, the far more destructive and subtle forms of it are all through evangelicalism right now. It's been gradually growing for at least a century and it's now delivering its rotten fruit to us. And if we're not willing to actually listen to what scripture says about the way that false teachers work and about the way that they are not people who are overtly heretical And they're not people who are clearly speaking falsehood, but they are people who use smooth words and flatter you and sneak in their doctrines in these uh, unassuming and camouflaged ways. If we're not willing to actually believe that, then we've got no hope whatsoever of ever being able to stop it or reverse course.
0: It's like, so at the PCA church I, I pastored at, they had a catechism club where, you know, you like basically learn the catechism and there was like like a contest or whatever. Now, I I don't have any problems with that. I love my kids learning the catechism. That's great for kids. But when manhood is reduced down to catechism catechism club, right, where these people, I I tweeted this out on um, Twitter where I was thinking about men I knew in their households and how these guys are really good at regurgitating theological facts and abstracts. But when I looked at their life, and I'm like, you're really fat, your your wife looks really exhausted, your your kids seem distant, your house is a
1: mess. Um, it's exactly like the people that write the books and then turn out to be fat and ugly.
0: That's right. Man- that's man- right. And and but but they've convinced us that the champion of Catechism Club is the manliness. And you're like, no, you just got the best memory and you're quick. Can you even explain it? You know, and and so what we're seeing right now is evangelicalism is a lie and to what you're saying eric i so i had two two experiences i said this on the Redman group the other day that 21 convention amplified me and moderated me uh it amplified me where i'm not stopping i'm going to continue to preach the gospel i'm going to continue to push the edges Um, I'm going to continue to go to these conferences and if they'll let me stand up on the stage and read to them from scripture and tell them the truth, I'm just going to do it. And I don't really care what any Christians say. It doesn't matter to me at all. I'm not going to hide it. It's not going to be some secret part of my life. That's just what I'm going to do. So that's like, that boldness is more amplified now than it's ever been. I just don't care. Um, I'm just going to go for it. Now, the, the part of me that was moderated is that after I listened to these men, I started to realize that I sympathize with MGTOW more. I really do. Actually, Uh, I'm not for MGTOW men going their own way. These guys in the sort of black pill version, which is like society's failing marriage. You can't do it, whatever. Um, But a whole generation of people have been ravaged by pornography, by social media, and by a toothless, weak church and the millennials in particular really got the the raw deal and uh, there's a there's a lot of you know they're not like some fresh teenager that's marrying right away like some cute little 19 year old couple 20 year old couple these are people who have a lot of baggage and a lot of things they got to work through and it's not it's not super simple so i i'm i've i i want to moderate my anti migtow they can't be talking they can't be talking smack about marriage. I'll rip them in half. Come on, they're, they're easy to rip in half. Make no, <laughs> that just backfired. Um, but um, anyhow, um, the other part that I'm moderating is honestly, well, <sighs> this period of being outside of masculine churches and visiting churches that have no liturgy or the worship music is so gay. I mean, the worship music is so gay. They, they repeat the same chorus over and over again. And my wife was telling me not too long ago that if I came into this, I would think that you guys were literally being brainwashed. Could you just say the same like five words over and over again? It's like mindless, you know, you know, and and so I, I'm, I'm finding myself in a position where what do we tell guys, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, it's really that bad, <clears throat> but you can't quit it's god's it's god's people it's his church and we have to reform it but it is like it is a dark day that we live in and i think when you get outside of the bubble and spend time with other people and hear their stories guys that wives like le- their wives leave them have sex with a guy disappear for a couple of weeks and then she comes back and the pastor's first response to that guy is like well how did you fail her how did you fail her? Like, what do you mean? Like you hear that stuff constantly, you know, you, and, and the, and the church always siding with the woman and she didn't want it, Michael. <clears throat> yeah. She was chased she was away by your, your emotional abuse and your, your distance. Right. Like, and, uh, you just, all this stuff, it's like really bad. So I think we have to say like, yeah, this is bad, but, what what are you going to do you know you have to fight for it and we and, and there's guys like me who honestly I'm planning a church not because I part of me doesn't want to it's harder it'd be easier just to go to conferences and conferences and speak and write and hang out with my family but i'm having a hard time finding a church i can bring my family my family to where my kids connect and uh and i don't know where to send men to it's getting really hard I don't know any thoughts on that I, that's a dark turn for it's good to be a man. It's still good to be a man. Jesus is still king. <laughs> no despair, baby <laughs> We're gonna win this. I have all sorts of hope, but I feel like we have to talk about the the realness of our situation so we can so we can find solutions and fight through this to the other side that I believe we can but but it's you know we need a to lift up the sword and cut off the the ring of power. <laughs>
2: Right, right now, it
0: feels like, I don't know, Eric, you're thinking something?
2: Yeah, I, I just think that it's it's interesting that, we're, you know, you're noticing these things. We're noticing them. You're, you're seeing these things at uh, the conference with men. Well, I think it's, look, reformers are men. Reformers are people who take rational, logical conclusions. They're not content with the way things are, and they're so stubborn that they will try to work those out in the midst of society. So, look, I mean, we need men i 'm encouraged by the fact that men around the country see that we need men. Uh, the status quo is not going to work anymore um, you, You're even starting to see it, I think, in more of the popular realm, uh, guys like Jack Murphy yep. um, saying things like you know the other day on Twitter, masculinity. The lack of masculinity is a national security threat,, yep. which he's absolutely right, but I think as is, is you just keep you keep pounding the drum. He was um, a twenty one
0: uh, convention speaker last year
2: right that's Likewise. right was yeah um, so I think getting some of these mainstream guys a little bit red pilled on on masculinity that's hopeful um, and then and then for me, it just always goes back to the same stuff you're talking about where look I what difference can I make well, I can reorder my family um, I can teach my kids differently we can start to form different communities with different people um, and focusing on that I'm sure Abraham I'm sure Noah. Gosh, think about these guys. Is there anyone good in Sodom? Nope. Lot, you know. So they're in this predicament where it's like there's nothing good, yeah. and yet they're exercising faith. They're trusting God for a land and a people and a kingdom. And so I think for us men, we need to keep doing that same thing. Amen. I agree. None. Any any closing thoughts? We'll tie this up
0: before we uh, go to. Q I've got a. a
1: closing thought for okay. you. Yeah, we need to be preaching the gospel of the kingdom. That's the thing that changes everything. Hmm. And the evangelical gospel tends to be very, I don't want to say effeminate, but it is neutered. It's not a gospel that emphasizes the hope of the kingship of the Lord Jesus, the fact that he is reigning over the world. It's not a gospel that emphasizes resurrection. It's a gospel that emphasizes death for, aton- death for atonement rather than resurrection for enthronement. And that makes a big difference when, when you put the emphasis there, it makes a huge difference to how people respond and what they're expecting from it. If your gospel is a gospel that doesn't expect to achieve anything in the world, apart from saving a few people so they can go to heaven, then you've got a gospel, which is a lot less, has less agency. It's less manly.
0: Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. Well, I think that's a good note to end on before, before we uh, close, we, we actually started the hall of, or excuse me. Uh, we started Tyrannus Hall oh, and, <sighs> oh my. Um, and so Tyrannus Hall is our men's group that uh, we started for, it's good to be a man. We're going to limit it to a hundred people, but we don't, we're going to, we're going to take our time to get to a hundred because culture eats strategy for breakfast you know we want we want to make sure the people we are letting in are on the same page and we integrate them slow so
1: um <clears throat> so we, also we want to make sure that we can actually do it
0: yeah right and so if you want to join uh trans hall you can email us at uh, men at it's good to be a man.com uh, what you get is uh these shows we record a, a a couple weeks beforehand and before they go out online and we've got quite the lineup, actually, for uh, the fourth quarter. Uh, Aaron Wren, David Murrow, who wrote Why Men, Hate Going to Church, Uh, Adam Robles, a bunch of other folks. It's going to be a good lineup. But also we have uh, a forum that you can be part of. And then starting here in in a week, we're going to start doing our our checkups, which is just a time where men can get together and uh, talk with each other about how they're how their goals are coming along and get prayer uh, and to work through their different issues are doing. So we're doing that right here. That's a supplement to your local uh, church. And we don't want it. It's not a replacement. It's not designed to be a replacement, but we recognize that a lot of folks are kind of isolated and having a hard time finding folks that share the same uh, masculine commitment. So that's the real reason we've started it. Uh, you, you can email us to get more information uh, again at, uh, men at it's good to be a man.com. Uh, Eric, where can people find out more about you since we
2: last had you on the podcast, man, you've done a lot. That's right. You can find more at ericcon.com. That's E R I C C O N N.com. You can follow me on Twitter, E R I C underscore C O N N and on Apple, Spotify, and a bunch of other places. You can find me at the hard man podcast. All right, great. Well, Men, until next time, be on the alert, stand
0: firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, and let all that you do be done in love.